Behold, behold, behold the pale podcast. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street. There's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do, and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe, and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest, I don't want you to ride, I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being, God damn it. My life has value. My life has value. My life has value. Behold the Pale Podcast. And... All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of Behold, 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 a Pale Podcast. Wow, very nice sound effects and everything. How's everybody doing out there this evening? We're doing good. We're doing good. We're doing good. That's what I like to hear. You know, we get a really fun, interesting episode. We hope the audience finds it fun. Um, I know certain few will. Um, you know, uh, we're not really an entertainment show here, so we're not going to get too deep into this. But we did receive a few emails uh, from from some some listeners out there. So if you're listening, I hope you appreciate the shout outs. Uh, Ron, I believe, was this gentleman's name. And, uh, you know, we... He was very persistent, you know what I mean? He wanted to know the dealio on this whole Will Smith, um, Chris Rock thing that happened at the Academy Awards not too long ago. And we ain't going to do no episode on it. Uh, I guess we'll give our little two cents on it. But what I did want to, what we did do is we dove into a little bit, you know, because we were talking about all these Hollywood conspiracies. And we said, you know, it would be kind of fun to do. We've tapped into... um, you know, the trials and the tribulations of the Twilight Zone movie, some Hollywood type conspiracy before. Um, and, uh, you know, so, but we don't want to go too deep into it, you know, because we, you know, we, we've, we've heard, we've heard from certain people that they don't, sometimes they don't like when we veer into the film direction, but, you know, sometimes you've got to, I guess, I don't know, some people do. So hopefully you guys out there kind of enjoy the little conspiracy Hollywood land um, crossover uh, that we're going to bring y'all today. Um, but yeah, you know, I care more about these other theories than I really do the new one. My take on it is, you know, I didn't know, you know, it could have been for publicity, the Will Smith, Chris Rock thing. It could have been easily for publicity. I know the Academy Awards would probably kill their mothers for ratings. 
Nobody's talked about them or really cared much for them for years. So do I think that they would pull some shenanigans to get people talking about them again? Yes, I do. Um, do I think that Chris Rock and Will Smith could put the, put that plan together to mess around? I They could, but why? Um, and then the aftermath of it, you know, is proven that it's not, it wasn't an effective deal. You know what I mean? The only thing that I would say that would be conspiracy theory like with that would be the fact that maybe Will Smith became a martyr for celebrities. Now, what I mean by that is I mean that, you know, a year or two ago when Ricky Gervais did the show, I remember, and everybody out there probably who watches remembers in the media, you know, the, it was big where he, like, he fucking torched the celebrities. He roasted those motherfuckers. And it was great, you know what I mean? Saying they were in cahoots with Epstein and all types of crazy stuff, um, which is probably true, you know what I mean? Um, very, very Behold the Pill podcast. Uh, so if Ricky Gervais is out there listening and we get on by love, come on the show. And... um but yeah, like they were roasting them and they don't like those celebrities don't like to be roasted. They're used to being pampered and delicately handled. You know what I mean? So when someone goes up there and goes, you're a fucking stupid person, you are in cahoots with pedophiles. You know, they go, they are not used to hearing that, you know, so their minds are blown. So I think that as much as Hollywood kind of got an uproar about how they were so upset and sickened by the actions of Will Smith. I do secretly think deep down there was a good percentage of them higher up celebrities that was like, yeah, it was like in kindergarten cop when you're that girl, you're a big fan of the lady after yeah. John Kimball beats up the, the, the fucking abusive dad. She goes, what was it like to hit that scumbag? Ooh, 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 ah! She gets all excited. I think that's what some of those Hollywood elites were like when he seen Will Smith punch Chris Rock because he was kind of like, don't talk shit about me. So I'd be curious to see in the future where it goes with, you know, I'd speculate now. Uh, we're very ahead of our time, I'm told, on Behold the Pill podcast. I'd speculate now that I don't think you, I think in the future, I think you'll be part of the rule book. You don't address, you don't make fun of anybody personally. You can maybe make fun of a character they play in a film or something like that or something very soft. But I don't think that, I don't think that it will be um, so uh, in a situation for that. I think expect more beautiful looking people that are trying very hard to read those cue cards. And I don't think comedy will be, I don't think comedy will be a big theme. There'll be people that don't regularly do comedy or really bad comedians doing, doing it next year. Nobody with balls, nobody that I think they would ever have to worry about going out there and saying something you know, because even an edgy comedian, I think, would next year it'd be to the elephant in the room to kind of address that situation. Like, well, you know, Will Smith they ain't here, so everybody, you know, don't have to be on on edge as much. You know what I mean? There'll be jokes like that, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's really much conspiracy to it, except for the secret conspiracy of Hollywood saying they were so disgusted with it. I actually think that a lot of the, the higher ups were happy that Will Smith smacked Chris Rock because he was smacking every comedian that ever said anything bad about any of them. You know what I mean? It was one of those deals. So what, what's your take on the conspiracy of Will Smith and Chris Rock before we pop into some of these other Hollywood conspiracies? Yeah. Um, I have to say that uh, I don't think uh, there's a conspiracy on that. 
Um, I do. Uh, I mean, it, it's going with what you said that I mean, if you listen to the jokes that were told from uh, during that, it, it's obvious that most of the jokes were kind of softballs. Even the the joke that Rock gets slapped over by Will Smith well, was a softball. Funky. If That's you think of it, I mean, come on. Of all the jokes that he could make about Jada Pickett Smith, about Will Smith, about any of them, uh, the the, the oh, way the kid dress, the way they do, the sun dresses for crying out loud, you can make fun of that for ten years nonstop. Don't yeah. have to take a breath. I mean, I mean, I mean, the joke of hey Jada, can't wait to see you in GI Jane too. How long ago did GI Jane come out? I mean, come on, how how kind of like uh, grabbing in in the old, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, Jane was like ninety six or ninety seven. Yeah, I people mean, don't fact, have. Yeah, half the I audience mean, don't even know what the fuck he's talking about when he said. Yeah, Jane so so like, the ah. the fact is to boil it down that the going with what Matt said. Yeah, I mean, even, watching the Academy Awards is a big step down from Ricky Gervais, from you know whether it was last year a uh, year before that, because. Like I said, you, you listen to these jokes and it's kind of like softballs to, you know, the celebs using kid co- gloves and, and not, you know, actually doing any decent comedy or, or real roasting of the celebs. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think that's one of the main reasons why it's, it's suffering the way it, it does, the, you know, viewership. Because we don't care, Okay. Listen, you guys got more money than most everyone else, and and you guys don't, I mean, you don't speak for us. Yeah. I mean, and like I said, I mean the fa- the fact that Will Smith's Mac Chris Rock over that joke of of all the jokes. I mean, I just find that friggin' hilarious. The GI Jane joke is so PG and lame and horrible of a joke that it's almost like. The Academy Award, Academy Award people said, "This is a joke to say." After Gervais went crazy, you know what I mean? They're like, yeah. "Say something very dated and very soft and not offensive. Just say that, oh, you have short hair, you look like GI Chain." <laughs> and what what guy, What's going to happen? What do you think, Will Smith? You're going to smack you or something? Come on, Chris, it's going to be all right. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, uh, I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, the thing is that. I mean, any comic worth his salt, I, I bet, will not come or, or even think about hosting the Os- uh, the Oscars next year. Because, I mean, what's the point of hosting something like that, being a comedian, and being censored of what you can say? I mean, there's, there's no point. That's I mean, true. It, yep. I mean, it's... The whole point of being a, com- a comedian is to push the en- envelope, to, you know, poke fun at everybody. Because everybody deserves to be poked fun at. And, you know, and especially those who are so high up as they are, you know, that they keep on, they keep on standing up there and, you know, uh, going off about how, you know, uh, all these different uh, platforms that they stand for. 
okay? You stand up for those platforms. How many of them actually are trying to help those in the platforms that they're supporting? I mean, are they putting their money where their mouth is? I mean, I don't need you standing up here telling me that treating people who are different than you is bad. We all know that. But are you actually actively trying to help people? Or are you just, hey, I know this is bad and this is a good platform, so I'm going to say that we should do something. I won't do anything, but I'm going to say we should do something about it. The only... um the only charity I support is there's an actor out there named Alexander Hawk. He has a charity for uh, single mothers that strip and do um, and do um, you know homemade pornography videos on the side. Now it's called Alexander Hawk's House of Refuge, and it refuses to let anybody in that that, that has a vagina. So it's one of those things, you know. But that's a great charity. I think there's a .org site if you want to check it out, um, and they're always looking for donations. So with that being said, yeah, with that being said, I think we should probably pop back uh, into the theme of today's episode, which is, uh, you know, some of the biggest conspiracies in Hollywood land. And because we know not everybody out there in the Behold the Pill podcast world are fans of Hollywood shit and movies, these conspiracies are very fun and interesting. And we know you'll enjoy that. But we still did you a solid, even if you're not appreciating the entertainment aspect, because we put a whole bunch of them into one episode. So now you're not getting a whole bunch of episodes of this content. You're just getting one episode of this content. But if you like it and we get good feedback, then maybe you'll get some more. You know what I mean? And uh, with that being said, let's roll up into it. (laughs) You crazy. All right. So, Alex. We got this big list here. Do you want to you want to kick off first? Um, sure, why not? Okay, about- um, uh, there's uh, this thing, uh, Randy Quaid, yes. and the Star Whackers. Now, this is one that I did not know about, but Matt has said that he has heard about it. I'm familiar uh, with this one. Yeah. Okay, so it's uh, it says here, Randy Quaid, of course, is a Golden Globe uh, winning actor that we. No, an older brother of actor Dennis Quaid. Quaid is best known for his roles in National Lampoon's Vacation Movies and Independence Day. In 2009, uh, Quaid and his wife, Evie, decided to have some legal problems. Uh, Their first run in with the law was in September 2009, when they were accused of not paying a bill for a hotel room. Then in September 2010, they were charged again, this time for squatting and vandalizing a guest house on the property they used to own. Now, the next month, they were arrested in Vancouver, Canada, Canada for the charges stemming uh, from the guest house incident. It was at this time that they applied for refugee status, but they cited a very unusual reason for wanting to stay in Canada. Quay claimed that he was being victimized by a secret group of people called the Hollywood Star Whackers. The Cabell-style group was trying to racketeer money from the Quades. The Star Whackers were also involved in the much more sinister plot of killing big-name movie stars. So that studios could save money by filling in roles with lesser-known actors. The Quades claimed that the Whackers killed Heath Ledger, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and David Carradine. 
They also said, as far back as 2005, the Whackers may have been involved with the setting up Michael Jackson, and they were quite possibly involved in his death. The Whackers also framed Mel Gibson and ruined his career. The Queens also said the mysterious group tried to sabotage the career of Jeremy Piven and quite possibly set up Robert Blake. Of course, none of these ever have been substantiated. It is still believed that Quaid and his wife are in Canada, where they make and post strange online videos. Yeah, yeah, I remember this. This one was a weird one. I remember uh, I brought this up because we were all going to, I believe, Rhode Island Comic Con once, and he was scheduled to be there, and I said, he ain't fucking, he ain't going to be there. And you guys were like, what do you mean? He's on the bill. He's on the poster. I'm like, he's fucking like wanted or something. If he, he, you know, the whackers are going to get him out, dude, if he comes to here. And sure enough, I believe he fucking did. He canceled out. He didn't go. Um, but yeah, I, I, this is a wild one. I don't know if this was, um, I don't know if I don't, I don't see the whackers things an interesting deal. I've heard that before with all those celebrities and, I don't know. It's a weird deal. It's it's it can be looked at two ways. It's like it's like when privilege stops or something is like what the is the reality of the whacker or something. Now their issues kind of it all kind of stems a little bit, I think, from like a finance point. That's where what I vibe from. Whereas kind of like you could have been someone that was always being comped at hotels. And, you know, every time you went to the restaurant, free meals, and it just becomes a lifestyle. You know, people give you free stuff because you're popping, you know what I mean? They want to be down. And at one point, that it always comes to an end, you know what I mean? And I think that he was living the good life for a while, and it came to an end. And I think delusion kind of set in with him where he was like, well, what do you mean I'm not getting this hotel room for free? Oh, what do you mean? You want me to leave? You want me to leave your house, your fucking, your spare, uh, your spare fucking house? Nah, I'm not doing that. Get out of here. What do you mean? You want me to pay for that food I just ate at your restaurant? Why are you kidding me? I haven't paid for a meal in fucking 20 years. You know what I mean? It's just a meal, so I'm going to walk out on it. What are they going to do? Fucking call the cops? I think that he got used to a lifestyle. Made him delusional. I think that he could have, you know, there's no question... Uh, but no proof of, you know, drugs being and alcohol and shit like that being involved. But I mean, it's there. I mean, it's in that world. So that, you, you know, perversion, you have some perversion in that world, too, that you got to be careful of. That gets pretty dark. I know that him and his wife were doing like I'm having sex on camera uh, and getting put online. If I remember correctly, I don't know if they were doing it or if it was just or somebody stole the footage. But I want to say I remember that floating around at some point, uh, like some homemade porn type shit. But yeah, Quaid's an interesting dude. Shitter's full, man. Uh, when it comes to that dude's life, shitter's full. You need to you need to reevaluate. You know what I mean? Uh, I always appreciated the dude. We we're talking about moving earlier uh, earlier today. Today that film he's in that. Um, you know, I always appreciated Quaid. He's, uh, but even when you watch, like, he's always been kind of tapped out. When you watch those old movies, like, he always plays tapped out characters. 
it's very possible he's just always been a tapped out dude, so that's why he played them so well. And um, I think that's the case, yeah, but yeah, it's weird. So what's your overall take of it now that you've read about it? Now that well, you know something about it. Here's the thing, yeah. okay, that um, I definitely think Randy Quaid and his wife are probably, <laughs> as you said, tapped out. And I can definitely see where you say that, you know, they had the high life for a while and then, you know, they don't have it. Um, Now, the idea of the Hollywood star whackers, I have to admit, I find um, actually not uh, too uh, implausible. Um, I, I I. I do think that they probably wouldn't waste their time with Randy Quaid because, I mean, Randy Quaid, uh, even when he was, you know, in his, you know, um, heyday, he wasn't a huge, huge uh, uh, actor. I mean, he wasn't ever in the level of Tom Cruise or anyone or Brad Pitt or any of those. Yeah. Um, He was an enjoyable character actor. And the thing is, honestly, if the Hollywood star workers were uh, uh, an actual thing, I don't think that they'd waste their time because I think Randy Quaid, for the most part, you know, uh, with all his crazy uh, shenanigans and all that, kind of uh, uh, makes anything he says, you know, sound crazy. So they don't have to do anything. They don't have to physically kill him or kill his, you know, reputation because he doesn't have much to be perfectly honest. The star whacker thing. I agree with you, you know, whether I think it's more of a financial type deal, like how Michael Jackson's catalogs were so much more when he's dead, let alone now businessmen or the people raking it in, you know, uh, to go back to like a behold the pill podcast episode, um, nearer my God to the, the mysterious murder of Sam cook, where we kind of talk about how Sam Cook was, you know, we felt that he was under the umbrella uh, of of like the big of like the record label, so they kind of protected him. But once he was no longer in their favor, like he let they let the, he let him kind of roam into the fucking woods to let Pinocchio roam into the 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 the, the fucking uh, you know the grounds the grounds of trouble, and uh, that's when issues came about and got him uh, done in. So I believe yeah. in stuff like I, I think like that or like because it's proven that once when people pass, people buy their material, their content, whatever they do, music, film, um, and they're celebrated and there's a boom in there, you know, their their thing goes up. And at that point, like they're they're cut out of it, um, depending on contracts and dealings, it could be horrifying. Like the families, it could just be at that point, just be the the, the studio system, you know, raking in the money. That's very possible. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, it's it's funny because, I mean, if you look at the, the three people that he mentioned, Heath Ledger, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and David Carradine, okay, about, you know, those that people that the star, uh, Hollywood star whackers actually killed off. Now, if we're going with... Uh, the whole uh, Sam Cooke thing that we were talking about earlier, which Matt brought up, is the fact that, I mean, Heath Ledger, Philip Seymour Hoffman, both of them died uh, 
by drug overdose, if I, I'm correct. And yes. David Cardine, uh, uh, Carradine actually died because he uh, he ended up killing himself in the sex act. Right. Uh, now, the thing is that these star whackers, as, as Matt said, I don't think that they're actually going out and killing. They're just... If if let's say if they do exist and they were to get rid of Heath Ledger, Phil, uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, or David Carradine, I don't think that they actually go out and have a hitman and kill them off. But I wouldn't be surprised if they they take away the umbrella or they set up a situation where they know the the personal demons that they are uh, combating will take over and then end up, you know, unfortunately uh, rubbing them out. I mean, killing them just to save money, I wouldn't be surprised, but there's a lot of other ways to do that. So I'm thinking that is kind of iffy of the motive. Maybe there's other motives. Maybe there's something else, like they knew something that they really didn't want to take a chance that they would leak out. I would more likely go that way. Leak out. Rub out, Star Whacker, you know what I mean? Yeah. Crazy. And the thing is that, you know, I, uh, I wouldn't be surprised that there is a group like that, which maybe not necessarily killing people off, but, you know, if there's someone that those in the higher up think that are too much trouble, finding ways of, like, messing up their reputation, like, you know, Mel Gibson, you know, setting up that situation, which, of course, now, I mean, Gibson's having quite of a great insurgence. So I mean, the question is that maybe there were some deals done behind the scenes or something like that. You never know. Yeah. You know, more current times, we got like your boy Robin Williams, Chris Cornell from Soundgarden, um, the uh, fucking Chester from Lincoln Park. You know what I mean? They, they, those are all people that uh, the, the claims I've heard the claim out there that you know the star whackers uh, got them. The biggest star whacker of all time has got to be David Carradine for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, now Tom Cruise's marriage contract, another conspirator out there. You know, uh, there is no shortage of bizarre rumors about Tom Cruise and the fact that he is legitimately weird guy. Poor guy. Uh, he does not help his case much. One of the most enduring conspiracy theories surrounding Tom Cruise is that he auditions actresses to be his wife, and if he likes them and if they embrace Scientology, he offers them a five-year marriage contract. The contract would give the actress a career boost, money, and there would be a bonus if there were a baby born. In exchange, Cruise would look less eccentric, and the marriage would dispel any rumors about him being gay. It was rumored that after his 10-year marriage to Nicole Kidman ended, she apparently signed two contracts. She, I hope she got a big sum of money. <laughs> uh, got her best years, but MVP. Uh, Cruz auditioned a number of women and then offered some of them the marriage contract. These women included such notable stars as Sophia Vergara, Scarlett Johansson, who uh, Alex used to date, and Katie yeah. Holmes. What is interesting is that the theory has a bit of truth to it, Apparently, the Church of Scientology, where Cruz is the second or third in command, I thought he retired, uh, did a number of women, ooh, uh, including soap actress Nazinin, 
Van Dandy, who tried out to be Cruz's wife. As for three, the three stars, Cruz did meet all of them, but they did not audition to be his wife. They just had sexual appointments. Aye. He was set up on a date with Vergara by fellow Scientologist Will Smith, bringing it back to our boy Will. Interesting. Um, I think that's got a lot to do with it, too. I think that there's a lot of science where there's no more love in that relationship. They're trying to stay together for like the business aspect, some weird futuristic relationship thing, not even not even love, but some weird fucking where money is more important and like they can try and coincide as friends, but you got to do what I tell you to do and all that. It's a fucking I think there's a weird I think the elite have a weird lifestyle that's not used to what other folks kind of live and uh, in that sense of it too, even in romantic situations and stuff like that, just lifestyles that are just weird and experimental and, you know what I mean, just, uh, you know, it's weird. Psychologists are involved in all that type of stuff. It's a weird thing. Um, but, yeah, uh, I you know, Scarlett Johansson and Katie Holmes, when they auditioned uh, for a role in Mission Impossible 3, in the end, Varghera and Johansson turned down Cruz. Johansson even dropped out of the movie because of Cruz's strong religious uh, beliefs. Now, Cruz is a short dude. Johansson, I think, is pretty tall. You know. Well, is- I mean, hey, Nicole Kidman is very tall. Yeah, that must be a... I don't know. He, he wears the fanciest of lifts in his shoes. Maybe he uh, likes being boob height. Maybe. Uh, home on the Holmes, on the other hand, married Cruz, and it lasted for five years. So she re- she did her contract and got out. She was uh, yeah, she was looking for a new team. You know, Cruz has never discussed the possibility of the contract, and he, along with the Church of Scientology, deny auditioning women to be his wife. Now I can speculate because I don't know too much about it, but I've heard the Church of Scientology is an interesting thing. Um, and it is a hierarchy and stuff, and it's kind of ruled by money and you pay to play and, uh, you know, when you're in there high up, they take care of you. Uh, you can kind of do like, almost like you have a cleanup team around you type deal that just kind of keeps everything cool and all that for you. Uh, Tom Cruise is a dude that I think got lost up in the system. I think that being that big ruins your mind a little bit. Ego can take over and excel and turn into something else, go to even past the point of ego into like a weird re- fucking delusional reality. Um, I think he's there, but I, I feel like Tom Cruise is a good dude. I feel like if I, if we met him, he'd be very likable and a good dude. I think that he just, he's been living such a weird, different life than everybody else for of being a sex symbol, being super famous for acting as well as being a sex symbol you know, he's been able to kind of get whatever the fuck he wants in every aspect of life. It felt, you know, you can never, you never walk a mile in the man's shoes, so you don't know. But, you know, Tom Cruise is one of those dudes that is just like living life to the fullest, to the completest. And uh, no, no stop signs, no, no nothing. Um, so he's just like in a different fucking, he's in a different world, you know what I mean? So I think his head's kind of weird. And I think that those folks that don't, they don't want to believe in like a God or something, but they want to believe in something. So they're, they're not afraid to go into stuff like that. And if they say you've got to pay the price and you got to pay the price, everybody pays the price for their belief one way or the other. You know what I mean? Um, 
but I think that that's the case. But I like Tom Cruise. We've talked about it before. I don't hate on Tom Cruise at all. I think he's just like, he's been through the fucking mirror. <laughs> you know, he's in the other side. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I can't hate on him too hard, but I do believe, I do believe this to be true, actually. I bet all this is legit. I think he goes, he, he pays these people to literally run his life probably for him. It goes easier that way while he focuses on his art, you know what I mean? Or something wild like that. And uh, they probably set up these people for him. And, you know, it is what it is. Contracting for five years. Maybe it's more like a, a disclosure or something for five years. Like, while you're there, you ain't gonna, you're not, you're gonna fucking, you're not gonna divorce me because it's bad in the media. It's gonna fuck up my head or whatever when I'm trying to perform these film projects. You know what I mean? It's possible that these things are there, but there's almost like good intentions on his part behind him. You never know. I feel like I'm his lawyer defending him or something. But uh, what's your take on this? Uh, Mr. Tom Cruise Control. Yeah, Tom Cruise Control, dude. Tom Cruise Control. Um, I have to say I would not be surprised. I mean, honestly, to be perfectly honest, it uh, makes sense for someone like Tom Cruise to have this kind of marriage contract. Yeah. Um, because uh, I can just imagine how... Uh, how taxing, uh, taxing it might be uh, be in a relationship with him. Be, uh, for, I mean, you, you keep on hearing about all these, you know, uh, he's always doing these crazy stunts and, and just, like, living on the edge. And and the fact is that uh, I, we're always kind of fascinated about people and their especially celebrities with their um, relationships and all that. And, I mean, it's good to look. Uh, even things are changing and opening it up that, uh, I mean, Tom Cruise has kind of made his name as kind of like a man's man, you know, like the guy that guys want to be like. Mm. So, I mean, whether he's gay or bisexual, I know that thing has been floating around for years. I mean, whether he is or isn't, I mean, heck, whatever he, he likes to do. Uh, it's not even something to hide. I don't even think it's something to hide. You know what yeah, I mean? I mean, honestly, I think it would be a huge boost for his career to come out if Probably he was. Would be a re- a re- but but, but the question yeah. I have is what? How, how does Scientology look at it? That I could mean, be the deal. Yeah, see, the thing is, well, I how don't... How does he really feel other than, he's trying to I, hide it? All I know about Scientology, it's just some weird, you know, cult religion that, you know, a bunch of Hollywood people have. If he's trying to hide it, it'd be part of their job for what is what they do to set up ways where he doesn't look appear to be that way. And he, if, if he like really is gay and he's going to them and saying, look, this is the deal or they're telling him the deal, then they're probably they're painting a picture in the media for him. Um, which the the wife and the kids could all be a part of that. And I almost feel like the Scientology deal would probably have him in some type of, I think they do like their teachings where you have to do time, you put in a certain amount of time. So he'd probably have to go to like course classes or put in time to work through that almost like uh, therapy sessions. But I don't know if they believe in therapy. They could, but I, you know, I don't know a lot about them. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, I mean, I've, I've I've heard about it and it's just 
like I said, it's it's weird. I mean, but then again, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's one of those things that uh, uh, the the real question about about uh, the difference between cult and religion is yeah. the fact that religion lasts longer than a cult for the most part. So. <laughs> I mean, it, so I mean, I, the the whole Scientology thing hasn't quite hit yeah. the the benchmark for how long it's supposed to be for a quote unquote religion. I forget how long, like, you know, uh, the 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 the, uh, the shortest running religion uh, to date. I mean, yeah. Well, the true but, question. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like I said, uh, I. Scientology, I think, only came up in the 60s, uh, 60s or 50s, maybe. Something like that. But the true question is, how many years does a cult have to put in because it's before it's classified a religion? Yeah. yeah number pretty. eight, Number eight, we got uh, the death of Anna Nicole Smith, of course, which Anna Nicole Smith, you know, she kind of popped up. For anybody out there that don't get down, Hawk will tell us a little bit about this story, but... For anybody that don't really know Anna Nicole Smith, she was kind of a pop celebrity in like the two, early 2000s or so. Uh, mainly got her fame from fucking marrying a billionaire dude. She was like a big hottie uh, of her time, married this rich guy, then kind of just, he, you know, he was 90 years old or whatever. They were in love, supposedly. Um, he died. She became rich. She was already in the media because of he was this rich dude and she was like a playmate or something. And uh, she just became kind of like this, you know, right at, right at the break of reality TV when that really was taken off and she kind of became a celebrity. And she's probably one of those first cases of like the no-nos of uh, becoming celebrity, like real quick. And like, she blew the fuck up real quick. And uh, I think that's part of, that was part of her issue. But what, what do you, let's hear a little bit about the death of Anna Nicole Smith. Oh, so this is what I know. Um, uh, she was born in uh, 1967 as uh, Vicky Lynn Hogan, but uh, we've been known her, know her as Anna Nicole Smith. Uh, she first became uh, famous after being named Playboy's Playmate of the Year in 1993. Right. Besides just being a model, she acted in a few films, notably the Coen Brothers' The Hudsucker Proxy, and Nicky Gunn, 33 and a third, the final insult. What Smith uh, probably is most famous for is her personal life. In uh, 1991, while working at an exotic dance club in Houston, she met 86-year-old oil tycoon J. Howard Marshall. It was pretty spry for a man of his age, if you know what I mean. <laughs> they carried on a relationship for two years while Smith was still married. She left her husband and married the billionaire in June 1994. Hey, love has no age or no money, if what, you know what I mean. At what point does at what point does her husband real come to the come to the the realization that she's going to be leaving him for that billionaire? Uh, as soon to... as as he saw the money, man. Yeah, as soon now, as that now, guy, yeah, gave now the wink. Now, the billionaire, okay, yeah. dude, the billionaire, he died 14 yeah. months later at the age of 90 and left her half of his $1.6 estate. 
I think she kind of rode them into the ground, if you know what I mean, or into the grave. Whoa. Heck yeah. Yeah. And, okay, just weeks after Marshall's death, one of his sons sued Smith, saying she didn't deserve the inheritance because hey, I love my daddy and my daddy didn't love me. I don't know why. In 2002, Smith popped up again on the pop culture radar when she got her own reality show, The Anna Nicole Show. On this show, she often appeared disorientated and confused because, well, I mean, all of her brains were in her tits, if you know what I mean. It became popular because she obviously was a train wreck, and we all love train wrecks on reality TV. Mm. Uh, whatever, uh, see, and also she would say whatever came to her mind. There was like absolutely no filter. People liked watching it just to see how much more she could screw up to a basic day-to-day life. But then things in the Smith story took a much darker turn. On September 7th, 2006, Smith gave birth to a daughter named uh, Daniel Lynn. But tragically, just three days later, her 20-year-old son Daniel died while visiting Smith in the hospital. He died from a drug overdose, from mixing methadone and two antidepressants. Hmm. Seven months later, Smith died like her son from an overdose of drugs. Drugs. Well, it is highly possible that Smith's overdose was connected to the grief she felt over her son. There have been a few theories on what actually killed her. Now, one of the most notable ones was that her lawyer, lover, friend, Howard K. Stern, killed her by constantly feeding her drugs. He certainly did have motive. While they weren't committed to each other, Smith did get pregnant by another man. No one was ever charged for the murder, but Stern and Smith's psychiatrist, Christine Irosovich, were convicted trying to give her too many prescription drugs. Stern used fake names to obtain the drugs, and Irovich wrote the prescriptions. In one month, though, uh, through uh, prescriptions, Smith received 1,500 pills. Stern says that he wasn't trying to harm her and was only trying to help her. Also, people wondered if Marshall's son was suing Smith and something to do with her death of Smith, but it doesn't look like that is the case. However, it does look like Smith did try to hire someone to kill him, though. Hmm. Yeah, I remember, like, uh, almost she was at the height of her deal. I think she was still popping, and she had the kid. I think she had the kid. And uh, the son died three days after. I remember that being weird. And I always thought to myself, I wonder if he, I wonder if the kid, if it was like a suicide overdose, because he realized that he wasn't like going to be, now there's this new kid in the world that, you know, everybody loves a baby, you know what I mean? And he was like a 14 year old kid with trouble and easily discarded. I think I always was wondering from the get go on that, whether, that was like a, a suicide overdose or not. But yeah, I remember she passed on not too long after that, kind of the same way. Um, you know, the methadone and two antidepressants in a system, I, I mixing those drugs, I didn't think would die on paper. That doesn't read like it would give you an overdose because your antidepressants, you assume are like your daily medicine that you would take like a not a, a little more than a vitamin, of course, but something you take every day to keep you level. So like you're that, but then, and then methadone, 
methadone is usually used, I believe, to kick heroin. So that's kind of like not so much fun drugs, you know what I mean? It's almost like he just had a bad reaction to the shit he was uh, taking. I wonder if he was taking any of those uh, unsubscribed, though, unprescribed. That could be that could be a deal for an issue for him. And the deal with the, the lawyer, you know, whenever there's like somebody in a celebrity's life that's, you know, getting them drugs, um, you know, there's always two sides to that that you can take. You could take, yeah, maybe, and it could be, and it could have been both realities of him actually being evil and playing this out. But I think it's more of a, you know, you're dealing with an addict, and if you don't, if they don't get them, if 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 she wasn't getting them from him, maybe he was, he knew that at least the shit that he was getting her was clean enough not to like, you know, fucking spike her out immediately from taking. You know what I mean? So like. If, if it was, you know, it's weird. You don't know. Maybe. And if he, you damn well better believe if he said, oh, yeah, I'm not getting you those pills or whatever. She ain't just not going to do those pills. She's going to do whatever she can do or whoever or whatever the deal may be. Uh, no matter how ugly it might get, she's going to do whatever she has to do to get those pills. You know, she's not just not going to consume those pills because, uh, Howard K. Stern was like, nah, not today, Anna, not today. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think I think she was buried in addiction herself, and I think that the, the loss of her kid definitely fucking put her over the edge, and she was going hard. Do I think she'd kill herself off? It's very weird. You know, she had a hopelessness of... of, of, of of that she felt she could have and should have done something when he was alive that could put her in the hole. Like she just had a baby. So like, you'd think that'd be hopeful enough to stay around for, but we really don't know the throes of hardcore addiction like that. When you're into some shit that truly consumes you, you know what I mean? Um, so like, I don't know where her head was at. All I know wasn't in a good place, you know? So, but I don't think the dude was killing her, try, trying to kill her. Um, from I could be dead wrong, but if memory serves me correctly from that time, I feel like he was – I remember him being kind of like a positive influence. And I wasn't a big fan or anything of her stuff, but from what I gathered, I uh, I assumed I should go on some shows. And Anna Nicole Smith's funny. I'll finish with this with – it's an interesting thing with Anna Nicole Smith because the moment that I realized nothing that we like <laughs> said like nothing was sacred in a way I knew before that, but uh, was when she died and they made a joke of it immediately. Like I remember there was a time when people would die and there'd be a day or two where people would be like, "Oh, that kind of sucks," and then maybe you'd hear some jokes. But I remember like live hearing maybe it was the Opie and Anthony show. It was, I was on, so it was some radio show. I remember hearing like live or later that day or whatever, like some type of deal where, uh, they like immediately made fun of it right off the bat. And I remember thinking, wow, this is a new precedent. You know what I mean? But next up, my friend, I don't want to take everybody's time. So yeah, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think you meant the killer next up though. Uh, Ronnie Chasson, you know, 
for any of you folks out there that want to be in love one more time. Ronnie Chaston was a famous Hollywood publicist who led over 100 campaigns for movies to win Academy Awards, you know, keeping it current. Uh, some of her most successful campaigns were for Driving Miss Daisy, Shakespeare in Love, The Hurt Locker, close to 12.30 a.m. on November 16, 2010, Chasson was sitting in her car at the red light in Beverly Hills. Originally, the police believed it was some type of road rage incident involving a truck or an SUV that uh, a killer fired five shots, all hitting her in the back and chest. Two weeks later, the police had announced that they had confronted their suspect, 43-year-old transient Harold Martin Smith, uh, and they did, and he pulled out a gun and shot himself. They tested that the gun, uh, and it was found to be the same one used in the murder, but many people found uh, glaring holes in the police's theory about Smith. So that's very interesting right there, right off the bat. Uh, that was, that's, some, that's harsh, dude. You know, that's some harsh shit. You know, it, it, it's almost like a, like a hit setup a little bit, but I'll go a little deeper into it. You know, Smith was apparently on a bike, uh, and he rode seven miles through Beverly Hills to rob Jason. This just didn't sit right with anyone who knew anything about Beverly Hills. That does make sense. First off, Smith was a black transient man who was riding through one of the most policed areas in the country. There was a good chance he would have been stopped or at least seen by the police on the way, but he wasn't, nor was he spotted on any security cameras. Also, how did he a bike away after firing five shots without being seen? Then there, and it's funny, like, if I was on a bike and I did that, I don't think I, you'd feel like a clown riding a fucking bike. I think <laughs> I would ditch, I would hit the, hit the woods. You know what I mean? You would get away from any cops that would be coming. You know what I mean? Like, get the fuck out of there. Um, very weird whole deal. Uh, but, you know, there was a good chance he would have been stopped or at least seen by the police. You know, he wasn't. He wasn't spotted on any security cameras. Also, uh, did, uh, how did he bike away after firing? You know what I mean? And there is but there is his victim. Why would he bike seven miles just to rob someone? He didn't have a car. He didn't want to take the transit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were plenty of other easier robbery opportunities along the way. That's true. I don't know. It feels like a hit almost. Like she, she is lost favor with somebody and somebody was like this, I could pay this person to do it or whatever. Uh, as for the shot, or even if they're celebrity, you can manipulate somebody. You know, if you're, if, 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 if you're, if you're like a nobody with nothing and I think a celebrity came into your life and befriended you, they could probably get you to do some wild shit. If you thought that you were not, you were going to be a part of the entourage, like an HBO show or something. You know what I mean? Uh, very weird stuff. Um, now as for the shots, how did he manage to fire off five perfect shots from a bike as Chesson's car moved away from him? That's a good question too. Even though you would be standing, it'd be the equivalent to standing. You'd just have the pesky bike in between your legs. Gun experts said that the shots were incredibly accurate. Also in a recreation of the shooting, the angle does not match up with the height of the bike. Then there is the strange feature of the bullets. Uh, They were hollow points. Why would someone like Smith want more expensive hollow points? Finally, neighbors of Smith heard him, uh, heard him say he was owed 10,000 after the case came to, came to light. They just assumed it was for the hit 
on Chasen, but they also admitted that Smith could have just been delusional. Due to the questions surrounding the murder of Chasen, a number of conspiracy theories have arisen as to who killed Chasen or who had her killed. Some believe it might have been something to do with jealousy over a campaign, which sounds believable. For example, at the previous Academy Awards held in March, the Hurt Locker won for Best Picture, which was a campaign chosen worked on. While some believe it was a hit by the Russian mafia or a gang initiation, there is currently a reward for information about the case, but the police consider the case closed. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it, it, she, I don't know. I don't know about Russian mafia unless there's a little more involved or gang initiation. It could be, but it's a, that's a little more planned out no. than unless she had beef with some gang. No, it, no, no. It's I more, mean, I, yeah. I mean, I mean, from listening to this now, this is the first time I've heard of it. Yeah, um, I wasn't too familiar with this one. Uh, well, here's the thing. All right, first of all, it's obvious this transient guy didn't shoot her. Okay, he didn't you don't think he did? Oh, there's no way, no way. Okay, because I mean, and and I I know this is going to sound awful of me saying this. Yeah, but. Uh, him, I mean, drive, uh, on a bike, okay, riding seven miles to rob a specific person, okay, I mean, they're already talking about that even the, the shots of the position of where he would be on the bike to the car don't add up. Also, he's an African-American gentleman, okay, mm-hmm. riding a bike in that area, which is very heavily, uh, policed. A lot of security cameras, and it's a majority of wealthy white people. The thing is, he would stick out like a sore thumb. There would, I mean, someone would have seen something. Okay, and it's, and it's like if if I decide to ride a bike through Harlem. Okay, I mean, I would stick out like a, a sore thumb. Yeah. I mean it's it's it doesn't make sense and and uh, yeah it just yeah there's something definitely more I mean I can definitely believe that now I mean her whole thing is that she's promoting uh all these uh uh, uh films and they're getting a lot of plaps I mean heck if she I mean Promoting the Hurt Locker and that uh, one for Best Picture and that knocked out someone else's uh, uh, contender. I mean, there's probably more to it, but I mean, I've heard people kill people for less. Yeah, I mean, it's there. Could there? I definitely feel there's more. It's more likely politics. It's politics behind the scenes. Maybe someone was cheated out of a role or some uh, cheated out of money. It's a bit. Yeah, it's, oh, it's oh, I, I mean. I mean, the whole Russian mafia or gang initiation, unless there's a lot more behind the scenes with her and that, I think that's, that's like, just, you know, speculation. Gang I mean, initi- no one's going to have a random gang initiation over over up in uh, Beverly Hills because mm-hmm. that would bring too much heat onto the gang. I mean, if there was a gang initiation. Same thing with the Russian mafia. Well, maybe they, know mean, that how, maybe they thought it was just a regular lady. 
You know, you know, but maybe she had. Maybe. Yeah, but but I mean, she was shot in Beverly Hills. I mean, if 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 they thought oh, it was just a, a random lady, I maybe mean, then you know, oh. maybe it was drug related. Maybe she had a she had an issue with some subs, substances. Maybe maybe she had a kid that had some issues with some substance substances, and then maybe you know she had. Somebody that had owed some money and said, "Mama, I owe I owed your own money. Mama, I owe thirty grand for the cocaines." And she was like, "You know, I put me on the phone with that young man." And he got on the phone. He's like, "Yo, what up? Where's my fucking money at?" And she's like, "We don't got your money, and 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 nobody should be doing cocaine, so we're not paying for that. Fuck you. Goodbye. I make movies. Fuck you. Goodbye." And he was like, "I'll come see you. I'll come see you about that." And then that was it. And then they, they came seeing her about it. They were like, you don't want to pay that dirty lodge? Like, pop, pop, booey, you know. Yeah. And then they looked at the kid. They were like, when you go to your mom's funeral, I want you to remember why she's laying in that box. And then they walked away and fucking, yeah. now he does a lot of arts and crafts fairs. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Well, I mean, it the, from the little bit of information we have here, I think it's obvious that and and the fact that they're saying that it, it's all closed and it's a closed case, and that they you know just say oh this this guy did, this transient did it, I'm like nah nah dude. I mean the thing was that there's definitely something more behind this. They want to quickly shut, close the case, move on, forget about it, and they just uh, pin it on a poor poor guy down on his luck. That's how it looks like. And, and of course, I mean, unfortunately, that's how a lot of uh, people work is that, you know, they, they pick a poor person who doesn't have anyone to defend him or come to his aid and, and they, you know, drop this on him. I mean, obviously, from a little bit, he probably might also have some mental, uh, mental ish- issues. That also probably, you know, made it easier for them to try to uh, pass him off as, you know, crazy transient that just happens to kill this woman that, you know, was behind some of the uh, biggest movies. And it's like, yeah. nah, it's, it's the thing is, the guy was set up. OK, he didn't do it. I, I have an extremely hard time believing that this guy riding a bike seven miles Okay, shoots her perfectly, and then you know is is just having her picked up, and there's no like actual real evidence that he he did it, other than you know they 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 found him like oh yeah this guy did it. He's the Oswald of the agency business and the in the entertainment business, the behind the yeah. scenes of the entertainment business. Uh, let's jump ahead a little bit. I'm going to have you. Uh, you want to talk about the death of Natalie Wood? Ooh, Natalie Wood. Natalie Wood. We all used to be good friends and hang out on boats and party hardy. You know what I mean? On Thanksgiving weekend, 1981, the year I was born, a 43-year-old rebel without a cause and West Side Story star Natalie Wood Wood, was on a weekend boat trip to Santa Catalina Island, California, with her husband, Robert Wagner, and Christopher Walken, and the boat's captain, Dennis Davern. Walken and Wood 
Ooh, walking down the wood. <laughs> We're working on the movie called Brainstorm together. On the night of November 29, Wood, Woods, Wagner, and Walken. Oh, my God, three W's. Can you beat that? www.trouble. Yeah. Had been drinking. One of the early versions of the story was that late in the evening, Woods and Wagner got in a fight, and Wagner went to bed alone. Next morning, Woods' body was found floating in the water, and a dinghy from the boat was washed up on the beach. An autopsy was performed, and it was reported that Wood had blood alcohol level of 0.16, and she was on medication that would have enhanced the effects of the alcohol. It was believed that Woods tried to get into the dinghy and fell into the water, which led to her drowning. Her death was ruled an accident ever since the night a number of conspiracies arose because of the lack of information and from the fact that some witnesses changed their story. For example, no one claimed they saw or heard Wood enter the water. Then there is a matter of the fight. In 2009 book about the incident, Davern said that Wood and Wagner got in a fight and resulted in Wood's death. He says the fight was over a possible relationship between Wood and Walken. At some point during the fight between Wagner and Wood, he heard Wagner say something to the effect of, Get off my boat! And after she went missing, Davern claimed that Wagner delayed him from calling for help. Wagner, on the other hand, did not admit to fighting with Wood until his 2009 autobiography, and he also admitted that it was about his jealousy of Walken. According to Wagner, he got in a fight with Walken, Wagner smashed a wine bottle, and Wood left. At that time, Wagner thought that she was she went to her room. When she wasn't found on board and the rubber dinghy was missing, he said he thought she went to shore. After the allegations of Davin's book, this case was reopened in 2012. The medical report showed that Wood's body had two dozen fresh bruises on it. It also noted that the left arm was especially bruised. She also had an abrasion on her face and a scratch on her neck. After reviewing the case, her death was rude drowning and other undetermined factors. Interesting enough, in 2011, Davins took a polygraph test and it indicated he was telling the truth. And the police say Wagner is not a suspect. This one was always a weird one for me and... I was wondering what was going on. It was just how it was two dudes, a girl, and a, and a, and a captain. I'm always and a surprised. lot of friggin' W's. Yeah, I thought there was a, it was a very outnumbered situation. What I gather, what I think happened is this is what I'll say. In the part where they said that uh, they thought that she'd gone back to shore, kind of makes me lead to believe that they were a distance away from land that it wasn't a crazy thought for her to get into a buoy. So with that, and, and kind of, you know, go, go to shore. Um, so what I think happened from what I gather has happened is everybody was very fucked up and just couldn't remember the night for real. That's, that's truth. But I think what happened in that fucked upness, I think there was beef with her and the boyfriend or husband, whatever, whatever he was, the dude, the Wagner dude. I think that the Wagner dude was a fucking dingleberry, got violent with her. It had to be broken up by walking. 
she for, she got upset. She goes, "Fuck you, I'm out of here." They probably even said, <clears throat> "Maybe it's best if you you know take the Dewey back to land and you sleep at the house tonight. We'll keep him on the boat." And she left. Maybe she f- fell out of the boat and they didn't realize it, drowned. So I think that's kind of what happened. And he didn't drown her, but there was kind of it was a freak accident where. Yeah, I do think that it was the dude Wagner's fault. He kind of made it a bad situation. Probably he's dead now, so I guess we can talk about him. But was uh, he dead? I thought he was he still died alive. a couple of years ago, I believe. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Watkins the only one alive that knows what really happens. He ain't telling nobody. But yeah, you know, I think that's that's my take on what I think happened with that situation. You know. You agree? Well, I mean, there's a lot of different possibilities. Um, one of the possibilities I think that could very much well happen if we are playing devil's advocate that no one really was at fault and it was just a terrible accident, you can play the fact that everyone is fucked up on, on alcohol or drugs or whatever they were having at the time. Wagner and Wood got an altercation. He probably pushed around a bit and all that. She's upset with him. And, you know, let's say Wagner went down to go to bed, walking also. And as we all know, there are times when people have a, a fight with each other and one of them want, uh, just storms out. And, of course, being on a boat, you can't exactly just storm out. Maybe... Natalie Wood was so pissed and wanted to get off the boat and no one was going to, uh, you know, uh, take her to shore. Then maybe she decided that while she was still intoxicated under the influence, that she's like, you know what? Screw these guys. I'm going to go to land myself. Here's a dinghy. I, I can, I can, you know, roll myself to shore. And she unfortunately misjudged, uh, what she was doing, and she fell in, and she drowned. I mean, that is a uh, good, uh, plausible explanation. Or the fact that the fight got out of hand, and Robert Wagner, uh, you know, actually, you know, hit her hard enough that she fell in the water, and she drowned that way. I mean, the thing is that there's a lot of different possibilities, and like you said, there's only one person alive that really know what happened, at least knows his version of what happened. And he's yeah. not going to tell anybody. And uh, I'm sure for the most part, he, he uh, tries to forget the entire incident. Um, yeah. I don't think he, I don't think he faults anybody. I think he looks at the situation as two people that are very passionate, got very intoxicated. They fight as maybe he's seen them do a million times before. Um, and after the fight, they were cats and dogs. He had to break them up. And Wagner said it was, he, maybe he said, this is my boat. I'm not fucking going anywhere. And I think that, you know, him being a dickhead him maybe, maybe saying something like that is, is, is as much to blame. I think as you can throw on him. I think at that point, you know, unless he was like, leave, get in the boat, then that blame too, but that's still not murder. You know what I mean? And then she got in the boat. Very tragic. So, super sad, you know, um, but I think that's kind of what happened. And that's why everybody was, uh, you know, whoop, zipped up and 
you know, nobody was convicted of anything that happened. I think they're realistically looking at the situation as like walking, looking at the situation as someone partying with them. This stuff happens all the time. It was a freak accident that she died. He didn't murder her. So he's not going to say that he murdered her, even if they fought that night and things that maybe that was a regular thing for him. Wagner is not going to look at it as murder because he'll, he'll feel guilt of his involvement if he's a human. Um, but I don't think he would go think of himself as a murderer either. Um, and I think it was more of a freak accident thing. And I think they were all so fucked up that nobody realistically, nobody knew. Like when they say, we don't know what really happened. I think that's completely honest. I think it was just party and heavy uh, that just, uh, it, I'm sure it was more than just alcohol. You know what I mean? I'm sure they were, uh, cocaine was probably going around maybe marijuana leaves. You know what I mean? Maybe they were even LSD or acid. Maybe it was something even like something that was really hallucinogenic that could really add to a problem of, you know, if you take some fucking acid or something from what I hear and you go on a little buoy, uh, and you stand up, maybe if you don't stand up, you're, you're going over. It's fucking, it's a wrap for you. And uh, it's very possible. But that's what I think happened, realistically. Uh, so next up, Mirage Men Kid. Uh, I know you get big with them. Now, the theory from English writer Mark P- Pilkington is that the reason people believe aliens and UFOs exist and haven't visited Earth is because the U.S. government wants them to. The idea that there is a great UFO conspiracy and the government is hiding the truth is a narrative constructed by the government itself. Now, I know William S. Well, our boy William Cooper, uh, our boy, he kind of believed that in the end, um, where, you know, he, all the things he's seen that he thought was alien crafts by the end of his life, he was believing was uh, the government, but showing him that to trick him. Now, according to Pilkington, there is a secret group of people whom they call Mirage Men uh, that either set up the sightings and or encourage the idea that there is an extraterrestrial life uh, visiting Earth. One of the most effective and widespread methods of misleading people was by using movies. A classic example that Pickington points to is 1951's The Day the Earth Stood Still. It shows a realistic version of what would happen if aliens visited Earth making an alien visitation a much more plausible scenario in people's minds. Pilkington also uh, shows that the movie was executive produced by Daryl Zanuck, who was associated with the CIA Psychological Strategy Board. The board was set up to promote American propaganda after World War II. Also, screenwriter Edmund North was formerly uh, with the military. The director, Robert Wise, became convinced there was alien life after visiting Washington uh, and talking to officials there. What is unclear is if any of the filmmakers knew they were making a film to deceive people or if they were just manipulated by the Mirage Men. I think in a situation like that with crossovers like that, I think the filmmaker side of it is they're really just trying to get a, a real movie a real entertaining film out of it where it's entertaining but has some inside scoop to it um there could be in in situations certain situations there could be other agendas i'm sure where they're trying okay i want to make buddies and manipulate the world with these people but i think for the most part like it's a kubrick deal where i know there's conspiracy with kubrick with the moon landing and stuff and um but i think that 
you know, for the most part, it's just kind of getting an inside, peeling back the veal to kind of see what is behind there. You know, it's the unknown. You know, you know this organization of secrets, and if you're if they're going to gift you the pleasure of being able to peel back the curtain, of course you're going to want to know what's going down back back there. You know what I mean? So with this one, yeah, I don't know. You know, Mirage Men. I assume there to be if alien life was something that you know, crafts were fake just to try and get people to believe it. I wouldn't be totally blown away. You know what I mean? It makes sense just as much as it doesn't make sense. You know, what I mean? that's how I look at it. Um, yeah. The coop, like I said, the coop believed that towards the end, uh, the coop got a lot of info on it throughout his years. So he'll, he's seen more info on it than I think any of us will ever see perhaps, you know, um, I can only speak for me and, me and the four people I'm here with, you know, <laughs> we have myself, Alexander the Hawk Butterfuco's here. Uh, he's still in rehabilitation, but we have a video of him, but no audio, unfortunately. But what's your take on this one, Hawkman? Well, I mean, I would not be surprised. I mean, if um, if the government thought it was easier to. Uh, kind of um, control people with the thought of aliens existing and doing these fake uh, UFO sightings and all that. Um, Yeah, I would not be surprised. I mean, right now, I mean, they supposedly declassified all these, you know, files showing that, yes, that we have been visited by unidentified flying objects, that the possibility of alien life visiting us is not only uh, possible, but also proven by these, you know, uh, videos that they have. Of course, none of the videos are, like, extremely clear or, you know. uh, So, yeah, I mean, the thing is that I wouldn't be surprised if they did a whole thing with the idea of Area 51 and, and all that to give people belief and, and kind of, I know definitely uh, uh, during the early uh, days of, uh, of area 51 where, you know, I forget what was that? The fifties, right? Yeah. With the whole, yeah. I mean, during that time of uh, people, of course, you know, it was easier to get away with, uh, you know, kind of, getting people scared and, and, and um, worried about what's happening if, you know, with uh, a possible alien invasion. I mean, you had World, um, World of the Worlds that were done on, on the radio and people thought it was actually happened. That was actually a real news report, not just uh, a story Orson Welles was just spinning just for his own amusement. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, the thing is, yeah, I wouldn't put past the government if they thought that they could get some benefit by manipulating people into believing that aliens uh, do exist. I I have a hard time believing that there's no intelligent uh, life out in the millions of planets and all that. I'm, but, of course, if they're smart enough to make uh, a spaceship to fly all those, you know, uh, uh, all the way to us, so they're probably smart enough to know that we're crazy enough to shoot them down if they actually did try to land. So, yeah, 
I mean, I would not be surprised. I would say that, yeah, uh, government, you know, uh, having a group that its whole purpose is to make us believe that uh, aliens exist. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. It is very tricky. I know that there's a very famous, um, there's like transcripts from an old, 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 almost like Illuminati meeting, meeting of the minds of the all-powerful. And uh, I forget who it is. I think it was a political figure said something along the lines of like, if we wanted to get the power of everybody uh, together, the best way to do it is to kind of have, have an enemy from the sky that we have to battle as a planet. It would bring everybody together type deal. So yeah, like Watchmen. Yeah, there you go. That's probably where it came from. Yeah. So uh, we have Watchmen now watch women, uh, the Brittany Murphy deal. You know what I mean? Well, tell me a little bit. Of, you, you remember Brittany Murphy, of course. She, you know, she was that kind of, she was crazy beautiful. You know what I mean? She was like very crazy. She was beautiful, but she was very crazy. A little ditzy character-wise. I didn't know her personally, but I'm just trying to run down of her characters that she played. Um, you know, because she played some really wild characters. Um very sad when we lost her. I was sad when we lost her because she was super talented. Brittany Murphy seemed like a tortured soul from the get-go, you know what I mean? Like, going all the way back. The uh, first time I remember seeing her was, I think, Clueless. Uh, I think she was kind of like uh, playing like an ugly duckling type character who was like a new friend of the group, I think, or something like that. Um, and then she kind of made it her own and became the Brittany Murphy we all know and love today. But yeah, lost are very tragic. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that? I have a few okay. facts, but I won't. I won't tell them. I'll let you do your spiel first. Uh, um, Brittany Ann Bertolotti, uh, better known as Brittany uh, Murphy. Yeah. I can see why she changed the name. <laughs> uh, got her big break uh, playing Ty in the nineteen nineties teen classic Clueless. Uh, she would go on to appear in other hit films, uh, films like Sin City. And Girl Interrupted, and she was the voice of Luann uh, Platter on the television, uh, television show King of the Hill. Tragically, uh, on the night of December 20th, 2009, Murphy was found unconscious on her washroom floor. She was taken to the hospital but died a short time later. An autopsy said that she died of natural causes at the age of 32. Way too young. But uh, then two months after the autopsy, the medical examiner changed his ruling to multiple drug intoxication. Then five months after her death, Murphy's husband, 39-year-old Simon Monjack, died on May 23, 2010 from natural causes. The death of the young couple took a strange twist after a friend of theirs, Julia Davis, came forward with a bizarre tale. Davis was a former customs and border protection agent who had discovered that 23 people from terrorist countries were all let in on the same day that Osama bin Laden had planned the attacks in the United States. She let her supervisor know, and because of that, she was branded a domestic terrorist. After being branded a terrorist, she was investigated four times, was subject to two malicious prosecutions, two false imprisonments, 
and her house was raided by 27th Department of Homeland Security officers using a black helicopter. Where Murphy and Monjack play in the stories that Homeland Security claimed that Murphy had given them statements that backed up their allegations against Davis. However, Murphy adamantly denied giving those statements and gave her own sworn statement to her attorneys. After doing so, she was put on Homeland Security watch list. Then the U.S. Immigration Customs Enforcement Agency was trying to deport Monjack. He, he was British. Mm. And he was arrested for having an expired visa. Also, just days prior to Murphy's death, Monjack told a reporter that he and Murphy were under surveillance from helicopters and their phones were tapped. Davis speculates that Murphy and Monjack were killed in order to silence her. Davis was cleared of all charges in 2010, and she is the subject of the documentary Top Priority, The Terror Within, that was released in 2012. There's a lot more to that than I thought of, you know, I... I, I remember, like, she had a boyfriend or a husband or whatever, and I think he was kind of a skeezy dude. They both did drugs together, and she uh, she died of some type of, like, pneumonia, I, I, if I, I thought it was. Um, I remember hearing stories of, like, mold in her house that got her, like, weird. There was a lot of kind of things floating around at that time. Um, but, yeah, my take was mainly that I think uh, it was just kind of some drug addiction. I didn't know about that whole secret, that terrorist stuff, which is pretty wild, um, which would make you believe that if, you know, if they were being, you know, phone tapped and investigated and, uh, you know, kind of spied on because of that, then, yeah, I feel like if you were a, a drug addict, um, I think the paranoia that would come with that would probably cause you to do more drugs, make you more paranoid, um, and uh, some scary stuff. Because now it's you know you're entering a whole different world. You know, I think even at a cele- even when you're in, when you're a big celebrity, and you go, okay, I'm uh, I'm I'm on top of the world. I can be like the Quaid man and go into this restaurant and eat this meal, wipe my mouth with the fucking the dude's tie throw it back in his face and walk out of there and I got a free mail on my hands um, and go into hotels and stay and not pay and stuff like that. I think that there's a lifestyle like that that kicks in and uh, they're not used to, you know, there's certain organizations like the government organizations that can go, oh, stop. Now you're, now you're fucking with us. It's an issue for you now. And they realize, okay, this could be a deal. So it's very interesting about that terrorist tie. I never knew the terrorist aspect to it. Um, I think that's the real true conspiracy vibe to it. I think the, I thought the conspiracy it was going to flow with was going to be uh, if the husband killed her, which I, I think more so that I think more so they were, I think more so they were drug addicts. And I think that she was kind of popping um, and he's just kind of a tag along her. I think, I think he was one of those dudes that, well, you know, love was the only thing that actually kept those two together. I think there was no business ties. There could have been, but there was no, they weren't like in the, in the entertainment biz together, at least from what I've seen. So like, yeah, I think that he could have been a very, 
my I thought the conspiracy was going to be more about this dude being very jealous and more worried about losing her. So he kind of kept her in this weird depending on him state of addiction where almost like a, a pimp, not that he was using or selling her for sex, but in the aspect of like, you know, in a lot of those pimp situations, they get the girls hooked on drugs and they keep feeding them drugs. So it's more so, you know, it, they, they depend on them for everything, you know, we're eating somewhere to sleep, staying drugged up so they don't get sick. You know what I mean? I think uh, it was more so one of those things. Cause I think that he probably felt any day now I'm going to lose her. You know what I mean? Uh, she's with this person, with that person, uh, any day now, she's going to think I'm a clown and go fucking go off with so-and-so and do that and the other thing. And maybe they fought behind the scenes every now and then, or maybe he got, you know, maybe there was some truth to that. And he was, uh, he's seen his days were numbered. So he, you know, got her hooked in. But from what I hear, it was pretty rugged. Like they were, they were almost shut in drug addicts by the end of it. I think that's why when the thing about their house being, like mold in the house. Like I, when she died, I want to say the first thing I heard that she died of was an ammonia, having a pneumonia from some type of mold in her house. Do you remember much about when you heard she passed? No, to be perfectly honest, um, I heard that she passed and that was about all I really heard. I mean, I, I didn't really follow into it. And, uh, I mean, of course, you know, I thought it was uh, extremely sad that someone that young, you know, uh, had passed. And I was, I heard about the drug issue and I was like, and to be perfectly honest, I know it's, it's terrible, but I didn't pay any attention after that because there's so many times that you hear about actors and actresses that, you know, they end up getting wrapped up in drugs and all that, and it ends up, you know, getting to him sooner or later. Yeah. And um, I just assumed that was the only part of the story, and I just, you know, went on and, you know, my condolences to her, her and her family. But, I mean, I didn't look into it further than that. He died, and he died three months later or three years later or something like that, and uh, the same way with drugs, you know what I mean? Uh, either either sadness or guilt, or both. You know what I mean. Uh, it's one of those deals. I kind of, there's no kind of. I don't know. I really feel like it's a weird year when that when you're that person, whether you're being a bad guy and and, and wanting to ruin her, or if you're, or you're trying to be, I don't know. And then in, in, in a in a time like that when you're all fucked up too, if you you, you, you I guess you assume to see yourself as a good guy supplying helping supply and take care of her while she's fucked up and stuff uh so it's a weird yeah it's definitely a weird vibe you know what i mean but uh not to go too different kind of the same along the lines of that i'm gonna jump into our next conspiracy uh hollywood which was uh, the beloved marilyn monroe i know that I don't like to talk too much about marilyn monroe because we dated for a short period of time back in the day and it was I'll always cherish that time. You know what I mean? For sure. It was good times. Now, the death of Norma Jean Mortensen, better known as Marilyn Monroe. I used to call her Norma Jean and she'd love it. Now, that's one of the most enduring tales from Hollywood. 
The official story that is her a psychiatrist found her dead in the early morning hours of August 5th, 1962, uh, after Monroe's uh, housekeeper called him to the house. Uh, she was lying face down, nude in the bed. There were a number of empty pill bottles laying around her, and she had the phone in one hand, and it was ruled uh, probable suicide. They said that the psychiatrist was arrested for necrophilia later that evening. Almost 60 years later, people still have a problem with a number of inconsistencies in the story. For example, the psychiatrist says he found the body at around 3 a.m., but didn't place a call to the emergency line until 4.25 a.m. Uh, he was after, Later that day, he was uh, arrested for necrophilia. Secondly, <laughs> during the first search of the bedroom, no glass was found, and there was no water, uh, no water taps in the room for Monroe to ingest all the pills. Maybe she was snorting them up, going hardcore to them, or boofing them, putting up her poop. Um, you know, the glass was only found during a secondary search of the room after it was noted that it was missing. That's kind of an interesting element to it. A glass, because a gla- it's like you're not going to find a glass under a bed. I guess maybe you could, but I mean, a glass is right there on the fucking table, mostly. You know what I mean? So it's like, if they, if it wasn't there originally, somebody made note that it wasn't there, and then it was there. Very suspicious. But the Monroe thing, I think, is very... There, there's fucking red flags all over the Marilyn Monroe thing. And there's a lot of people that she was fucking, you know, for lack of a better term, in bed with, you know, in multiple ways. Um, the the didn't like each other like the people she was fucking around with liked her uh or lusted her but hated the other people she hung out with it's a really weird really weird world her world must have been fucking crazy she she lived in a crazy world um now it's one of those deals you know what i mean you know they it was rolled suicide only you know what i mean Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I never believed the suicide thing. I think that was back in a the time they just said she's not alive anymore. She's young. It's a suicide. Um, now, one of the oddest parts of the story is that apparently there was a visit from three men just hours before Monroe was found dead. Uh, a handyman working on Monroe's house, Norman Jeffries, said that three men arrived at the house sometime between 9.30 and 10 p.m. A neighbor, Elizabeth Pollard, also saw these three men, but says they were just at the house. Uh, they were just they were at the house earlier than Jeffrey said. One thing they did agree on was that one of the three men at the house that night was the Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy, who was of course brother of then President John F. Kennedy. Yeah, very interesting. Um, I could. I have opinions, but I'll wait. Now, what the men did at the house is unclear. They ordered both Jeffries and the housekeeper out of the house. Some theorists believe that it was during this time that Monroe was given an injection of uh, benthrobarbital to the heart. The reason for the murder was to silence her. They believed that she was planning to reveal that she had affairs with both brothers during a press conference. Now... This one's big for me because I definitely believe she was killed. I don't think 
she killed herself off. If she did kill herself off, I think it's because they literally destroyed her fucking brain, destroyed her mind to the point where, and then encouraged it. Literally, the situation of your garbage, you should be dead. Here's the gun. I'm I'm putting the gun to your head in your hand. I'm putting this to your head right now. You should really just pull the trigger. You should really pull the trigger. You should. It's, it's you know you're taking too long. You should really pull the trigger now. I think it, like that. Either like literally like that suicide, even though it was pills, um, or they just straight up did it for because they didn't they didn't have time to waste. They had to catch the new fucking movie. Um, you know, she was with both the brothers. She was with mafia people and the mafia and the and the and and the Kennedys weren't getting down at all. You know what I mean? Uh check out the Irishman if you don't want to read any books on the the the, the, the beef between the the fucking the politics and the, the mafiosos. Um but yeah, I think that it was a very I think she was caught between there's also a theory that uh, JFK brought her to Area 51 and showed her an alien, and she was going to spill the beans on that. There was that theory as well. Um, but yeah, this one's still, I'd, I'd love to hear more research on the Marilyn Monroe thing, but I do feel like Monroe, it, it was either, like I said before, they were like super hard on her you know, and pr- pretty much forced her. You think about how terrible they could be to her. This was going back. This is before any of the cancel culture and, you know, unity of nowadays. This is, you know what I mean? These were, unfortunately, these these folks are really shitted on. And, um, yeah, like, really bad news, you know. They could have held her down, like they said, and gave her the dose. Um, yeah, you know, her, her, she was kind of just like, from what I gathered about her, I think everybody was like, I don't know, if, I assume partially willing, but I just, everybody was kind of having romances with her, you know what I mean? Even at the same time, you know, not well, maybe even physically at the same time, but like, you know, she was dating multiple uh, folks, you know, important people at the same time. So like, you know, she's seen a lot of stuff she shouldn't have seen. And I definitely believe, you know, did 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 take her out to picture and the Kennedys or the Kennedys or something else to begin with, but uh, yeah, I, yeah, I never the the I never took the suicide. I always it was either heavily assisted or they did her in. Um, but I always, I always, um, I always assumed I always pictured that situation to her be someone that was no longer happy with that relationship and was saying, talking a lot of trash, threatening to do a lot of things. And I think maybe in the past, when you're dealing with people that aren't the president, I think that's not a, that's something that's, that you can do and not get in trouble with in a relationship. But I think when you threaten these things with the president with so much on the line and stuff, I think it takes a whole new, you know, a whole new place, whole new position on whether or not you really need to be here or not. And I think that when, when, when they asked that question on her, they got an answer that she probably wouldn't have agreed with, but they all agreed on it. And uh, the move had to be made. Unfortunately, I think that's kind of what happened on it, but you got any uh, last takes on Marilyn Monroe? Well, no, not really. I mean, I agree with you that, 
I really doubt that she took her own life. And the fact that, you know, she had been involved with so many powerful men and powerful men that uh, have no morals, I guess is the best way to say that uh, if they thought she was going to spill the beans on anything that they thought would either ruin their reputation or make them look bad, even just among, like, their own little group, yeah, I would not put it past any one of them to, you know, well, she has to go. And, and of course, without being there or being privy to what she might have heard or... It could be anything. It could be anything from, you know, her go, uh, threatening uh, to tell um, you know, JFK's wife that, you know, they had the, the affair or, or anything like that. I mean, it's, and of course, when you have powerful men who can just wave their finger and have anything happen, and of course, unfortunately, a lot of people looked at Marilyn Monroe as as you know, the uh, as a party girl, as the one that you have a good time with, but is totally, um, you know, disposable. You know, so if she wasn't going to play ball, wasn't going to do what they wanted her to do, I'm sure they have no no uh, problem with uh, giving her a little, you know, shot in the arm to uh, get rid of the uh, problem. For sure, you know what I mean? It's one of those things. Bill Clinton was the first president uh, in the media to be smashed and drugged through the mug for having an affair and uh, sleeping around and being a dog. And uh, But he ain't the first president that's ever done that. He's just the first one that's been thrown across the media. I'd be willing to bet uh, George Washington himself uh, took them wooden teeth out to chew on some nipples that weren't his wife, you know what I mean? Hey, Thomas Jefferson was, you know, siring uh, red-headed children with his uh, his uh, slave mistress. I mean, yeah. so, I mean, it's, yeah, uh, there's been so many, I mean, it's, like I said before, when you have people that are in power and they believe that the, the rules do not apply to them, that gives them the the unfortunately the uh, the belief that they can do whatever they want and use who whomever they want and right. if whomever they want won't play by their rules they will get rid of them. Okay, it's a crazy thing. You got to be careful with that stuff. You know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Doggy, whether it's uh, on the old Hollywood line or anywhere else, you know, the political line and when they mash up and. Have fun, you know. But that was another hot episode, you know what I mean? So uh, we thank y'all out there for hanging in here with us, you know what I mean? And thanks to Ron out there. This is a uh, – Karen, that question was nice. I know you you asked us a few times, and when we gave an answer, you wanted to come back with that too. Uh, maybe we'll have you on the show in the future, you know what I mean, if you're not too camera shy guy, you know what I mean? But uh, that was good stuff. Um, so yeah, if you like this episode, we know you're not always getting 
you know, crossing over with the entertainment, busy stuff and the conspiratorial stuff on the Behold. But we like the mashed up every now and then. And we hope even the people that don't like entertainment got a little something out of this episode. Because, hey, man, there's some conspiracy everywhere. You know what I mean? For sure. And uh, it's fun dipping into it. You know what I mean? And these are all conspiracies, whether they're in the entertainment world or not. But uh, now they're in front of your face, piping hot. So eat them down, side of tater tot. And we'll see you next time out the gate. Don't get shot. And everybody, be well, be merry, be beholden, pale podcast. Why? Because we love you. Catch you all on the next episode of Behold a Pale Podcast. For the past 20 years, my wife, Evie, and I have been the victims of criminal activities perpetrated by a small network of individuals who are out to destroy us personally, professionally, and financially. This network of individuals is manipulating the banking system and the criminal justice system for the purposes of sabotaging our credit and our credibility. Up until a year ago, Evie and I had never had any run-in with the law whatsoever. We are not criminals, nor are we fugitives from justice, nor are we crazy. Nor are we crazy. We are simply artists and filmmakers who are being racketeered on. We believe there are to be a malignant tumor of star whackers in Hollywood. Of star whackers. How many people do you know personally who have died suddenly and mysteriously in the past five years? I have personally known eight actors. All of whom, whom, nor are we crazy. We are simply artists and filmmakers who are being racketeered on. All of whom I have worked with and was close to. Heath Ledger, Chris Penn, David Carradine among them. I believe these actors actors were whacked. And I believe that many others, such as Britney Spears... Lindsay Lohan and Mel Gibson are being played to get at their money. In the meantime, many of celebrities' image and marketability is being co-opted, co-opted and destroyed. Google helps out by keeping the negative stories near the top of a celebrity's webpage because it's the negativity that brings in the advertising revenue. In my own case, my ex-attorney Lloyd Braun has joined this tribe of bottom feeders by creating his own celebrity gossip website. What is wrong with what that is picture? wrong with that picture? When your own attorney starts defaming you, who do you turn to to defend you? Lloyd, Lloyd Braun, Braun also claims to have come up with, with the idea of the Sopranos, Sopranos. So he's obviously, so he's obviously familiar, familiar with the ways and means of organized crime. Organized crime. Unfortunately, my brother Dennis has made matters worse by buying a house from Mr. Braun on property Braun originally bought with money he embezzled from me. I recently discovered, much to my surprise, that Dennis is also on the deed to my Santa Barbara property. This is also the work of Mr. Braun further confounding the the validity of the transfer of my fully furnished property in 1992 to Mr. Bruce Berman. I have earned approximately $40 million throughout my career. I have profit participation in some of my films. I am being embezzled from by this monstrous ring of accountants, estate planners, and lawyers 
who are mercilessly slandering me and trying to kill my career, and I believe murder me in order to gain control of my royalties. I am being embezzled from by this monstrous ring of accountants, estate planners, and lawyers who are mercilessly slandering me and trying to kill my career, and I believe murder me in order to gain control of my royalties. I wish to return to only one thing, work.